Well, hello, Northland family. Oh, man, it is good to be back. Uh, Nathan, thank you. I don't know that I've ever gotten such a uh, resounding applause from one person, and I appreciate you doing that and also giving us those updates. Well, we are continuing in our series through John's Gospel. We're calling it Awaken because that's what happens to a human being, a man or woman, boy or girl, who engages with who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for them, and His summons to come out of death into this realm of life. Today we're going to come to a very, very important part of that life of the Gospel. It's this whole notion of prayer. Many years ago, when I was a student in England, I was studying Bible and theology there, and I had a mentor. His name was Dr. Alan Redpath. Years before, he had been the senior pastor at Moody Church in Chicago before that, in Edinburgh, and he kind of took me under his wing, and he was, this, he was a rugby player as a young man, so he was, he was about my height and carried himself in such a stately manner, but he was also kind of an intimidating presence. And one time we went out to play golf, had a round of golf, and then after that, we went to a restaurant where we were going to you know, have a late afternoon meal. It was um, a pretty busy restaurant, not that big. It was about 15 tables, I'm guessing, in the restaurant. So we sat down. We ordered, uh, the waiters took our order, and then when the food came, Dr. Redpath said, well, let's pray. Now, he, he had this booming voice. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a prideful booming. Uh, it was simply it, it, part of who he was, and he had this amazing accent as well from England, and so he began to pray. And this restaurant didn't have carpet, I remember that, and it was a fairly loud restaurant. And as he began to pray, I, I started realizing the clinking and clattering of the dishes was getting less and less. And so finally, it was really quiet, and I peeked. Dr. Redpath was still going in his, in his blessing, and I looked around. Everyone in the restaurant had their heads bowed. Waiters, <laughs> other, other patrons, people in the middle of their... I mean, I think people heard him praying and finally thought, I, I, I better pray as well. And he said, amen. And there are a couple of amens in the restaurant. And one guy who had been on his way out walked past our table and says, that was a powerful prayer, sir. And he said it in his British accent. And uh, Dr. Redpath hadn't even realized people were listening to him. He, didn't, he, he wasn't praying to be heard by anybody but God as well as me. But at that phrase, that was a powerful prayer. What did the, that guy mean? I, was it the volume of Dr. Redpath's voice? Very probably. And the fact that, but there was also was more than just the volume because he wasn't coming across as this religious showman at all. He was humbly calling out to God. To the point that the people around thought, I better pray as well. Prayer is an immense gift, and it's part of the life of the gospel. In John chapter 10, verse 10, really it's the foundation of our vision, foundation of this series. Jesus as a thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come for a very distinct purpose. 
that they may have life and have it to the full. Well, that fullness of life is a life of, of, of relationship with the Father. And so it's important to understand, if I'm trying to get my head around praying, it's, it's, it's not a religious activity, it's a relational activity. It's a conversation. And which, incredibly enough, I can say, Father, and He says, yep. And I can speak with Him. I can hear from Him in His Word. But what makes praying become powerful? It's not just picking that phone up and talking with God in a religious sense. And actually, it's probably, I love the antique phone there, but maybe a, a better analogy would be an AirPod that's always there. I, I don't have to go to any particular religious place to make my prayer. I can pray at any time. But what makes a prayer powerful? What makes a conversation with God have that kind of impact? Not really to the point of somebody else hearing it and saying that was a powerful prayer, but for you and me to know that when we've had that conversation with God, some significant things have happened. Well, if you've got your Bible, turn to John chapter 14. And we are in the upper room discourse, as it's known. And this is private conversations that Jesus is having just with his disciples in the upstairs room. His public ministry is done. And so now he's sitting at that Passover meal that Thursday night, same night uh, that he gave them communion and washed their feet. And he's wanting to speak to his, his friends. They don't understand fully yet what's going on. They don't realize that this is a literal thing, that the next day he's going to be crucified. That was all a shock. It, all, it didn't all get put together until after the resurrection and during his teaching over those 40 days before he ascended to the Father. But he's, if you look at that upper room discourse, he is covering critical ground. And here he makes a statement. He's wanted to make sure. He says, I'm going away. But we're going to keep this relationship going. And he says, actually, it's necessary that I go away because I'm going to do something in you. And he says this, John chapter 14, verse 12, 13, and 14. Very truly, I tell you. Now remember, we've talked about this before. Whenever you see very truly, uh, and the, some of the authorized version long ago could be uh, verily, verily. It's, it's an emphasis point for him to make sure that you and I are underlining this, that we're highlighting it, that we're, we're treasuring it and gripping it. And he says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. Hmm. Some people have taken this passage and turned it into a, a superstitious genie formula. You know, the rubbing of the lantern and saying, okay, if I get this formula down, God's going to give me whatever. Oh, He's going to give me that that Maserati or that vacation or that, we, we have so uh, superficialized this text. 
And it's a front. It's an affront to that relational intimacy. This is not a name it and claim it passage. But it is a passage in which Jesus says these conversations, they're powerful. And you have no idea the supernatural impact that your conversations with the Father and with me, in essence, he's saying, because he's going to the Father, are going to have. You know, for many, many years, uh, there's been an outline uh, to help lead people through, and we've used it some here at Northland as well, for a time of prayer, and it's on the acrostic ACTS, A-C-T-S. And people say, well, this is how to kind of go through a time of prayer. You start with adoration, you move into confession, then thanksgiving, and then supplication, which means making requests. It's a great outline. I'm going to reframe that a little bit, and it's from this text with three words. What does a powerful conversation God, with God look like? Uh, it looks like me taking some time and being close with Him and being confident in Him and participating in a cause alongside Him. And in that closeness, really adoration and confession are part of that. The confidence that happens in this conversation is that thanksgiving. I'm thank you that you're enough. You got this. But there's also a cause, a supplication, making requests. So let's go back through the closeness, confidence, and cause and look at these three ingredients one at a time and see them framed and within this particular text. It's filled with powerful promises and assurances from Jesus. The first one. What's a powerful conversation with God look like? What's powerful prayer look like? It will involve closeness. And it involves closeness because of His intimacy that He offers us. And a lot of people in in rote religious circles, they don't think of the word intimacy when it comes to relating with God. But we're we're called to that. It It is great intimacy. But I want to go back to the text just for a minute. Look at verse 12, right when it starts. He says, very truly... I tell you, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, that some people have said, okay, there you go, that's the deal. If if you believe in him in just the right way, you're going to be able to manipulate the genie bottle and uh, he's going to do whatever you want him to do. That's not what he's referring to there. This is a phrase that you see occur over and over, especially in John's Gospels, but elsewhere, of believing in Him. What Jesus is saying, he who believes in me, meaning the person who believes in me, the person who has entered into a relationship with me. That's what this is for. This is not for somebody who's distant from God and never has any conversations, but now really wants something and is coming saying, hey God, how about, how about we do a deal? No, he's saying, he, he or she who believes in me, who has a relationship, John 20, 31, that we've talked about often here. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So it's that believing that leads us into life in His name. That believing is not just a one-time transaction when I prayed to receive Christ and gained assurance for heaven. That believing is an ongoing, everyday occurrence, and it's in my believing that I pray. And in fact, that 
that active. And you might remember a few weeks ago, we brought the chair out and put it here. And when I sit in that chair, it's a step of faith. And sometimes we really lean back and relax. I'll use this chair uh, as, a, as a fill-in. I'm, I'm believing this chair will hold me up, but I'm also believing it here as well. And I'm just, I'm sitting back. There is a direct correlation between my belief, my faith, and my prayer. If I'm truly believing in the way that the gospel invites me to on a daily basis so that I might have life in his name, this is ongoing. It's the, air, it's, it's the AirPod. It's that praying without ceasing. And it's praying in the context of intimacy. John 17, 3. Something very familiar to all of us as well. If you've been here at Northland for a while, John 17, 3. Now, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And if you've been here a while, you've heard me say it over and over. That's the only time Jesus defines eternal life. And he says, it's knowing him. So eternal life isn't heaven. It'll be experienced in heaven in an undiluted, undeterred way, no longer uh, hampered by our sin. But at the bottom line, it's intimacy. It's closeness with the Father. When I come to Christ, I'm not given the privilege of having a direct line to some far-off being that will be my deity of the day and bail me out of difficulties. It's an invitation for me to move into a continual relationship in which all of my life is lived coram Deo in the face of God, underneath His authority, in His presence consciously, to His glory. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, the grace, Paul says, of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He says, there was something powerful that happened in me. When I trusted Jesus, it wasn't this religious affiliation that was entrusted to me. It was an embrace that was lavished on me. He says, I'm a different man because of this relationship. Augustine, one of the great heroes of our faith, he summed it up. He says, you know what? You've made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. This is not an unnatural thing to do in a relationship. And prayer was a gentleman that I studied with in Switzerland named Francis Schaeffer said, uh, if the universe is only natural, then prayer is a supernatural activity. But if the universe is also supernatural, prayer couldn't be more natural. It's just a natural part of relating with a supernatural being. Uh, Moses, Psalm 103, verse 7, God, the psalmist says something pretty striking. He made known his ways. God made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Is Exodus 33:11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks 
with his friend. Picking up this opportunity to pray is not just about getting something. For this to be a powerful time of prayer, it's for me to celebrate the closeness I have with the living God. You say, that sounds too good to be true, and that's why it's called the gospel. But it's not just closeness. That's the first ingredient to this power. There's that second ingredient. It's confidence that happens. Confidence that is rooted in the sufficiency of Jesus. I can be confident picking up this phone, so to speak, and praying, knowing he wants to hear me and he does hear me. And it's not a matter of, okay, I've earned my way here. I'm listening in confidence and speaking in confidence because my sin has been taken care of by Jesus. Go back to the text for a moment. In verse 13 of John 14, he says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Verse 14, he repeats it. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. They asked me to do a a, a quick clip for this weekend, just talking about the topic of prayer. And the, the, the question I ask is a question that I've asked myself, is, if you and I were to wake up tomorrow and all the promises about prayer, all the exhortations about prayer were mysteriously eliminated from our Bibles, would that make any difference in how I live tomorrow? How I do my day, how I do my job, how I do my recreation? We have turned prayer into a religious exercise and made it something that can be cumbersome instead of seeing this is a powerful relational activity in which I'm coming not just to pursue closeness with my Heavenly Father, but to to experience confidence before Him. And it's not confidence based on my track record. I never pick up this phone and say, God, I deserve for you to listen to me because That ain't going to happen. My sin's too great. His holiness is too great. The bridge between us is infinite, but the infinite God-man Jesus Christ has bridged the gap. And so when he says, you ask in my name, it's not a magical incantation of saying, okay, make sure you say in the name of Jesus, I pray this. Is that appropriate? Of course it is. But that is not the ultimate meaning of that phrase. When we are praying in His name, when we're asking the Father, speaking to the Father in His name, we're speaking to Him, understanding that it's by the merit of Jesus. I do not deserve to be listened to right now by a holy God. Yet He says, Matt, come on up here. I want you to hop in my lap and speak to me. And I say, there's no way. Do you know my sins of omission and commission? He says, of course. But do you know the sufficiency of what my son has done on the cross? And so Jesus is saying the way that we speak to the Father is exalting what he has done on the cross. And as a result, we come confidently, not in a a cowering way, not in a hesitant way, because oftentimes we're we're afraid to ask things because we know we don't deserve it. And you know, that's true, we don't. 
But what Jesus has done is He's called us to be His brothers and sisters. He says, I've covered you with my righteousness. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's do something. He says, since the name of Jesus, biblically speaking, a person's name is who they are, what they do. It's the entire essence of their person. That's why we are to extol the name of God. We're saying who He is and what He does. That's why we say here at Northen, who He is and what He does. That's what we've come to extol and to celebrate. And it's because of who Jesus is and what He does that's signified in that phrase, His name. Because of that, this is what we can do. Verse 22. Let us draw near. Let's draw near to God. Oh, not based on our uh, religious impressiveness, but on our grasp of the person and work of Jesus, our submission to Him. Let's draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. So we've trusted, believed in what Jesus did on the cross and said, I trust that what you did on the cross was for my sin. My sins, you've paid the penalty for them. So I'm going to have assurance that I'm forgiven. And then my heart, knowing that my heart's been sprinkled and has been cleansed from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly, confidently, saying we stand here by the blood of Jesus, by what He has done. And therefore, we can boldly make these requests, not pomp pompously, not pridefully, but very humbly knowing He wants to speak to us because He's our Abba. And I can be restored into a relationship with my Abba through my Savior. A lot of you have read Brennan Manning's book, Abba's Child. I don't know if you know why he named it that. He was speaking at a, at a conference and was dead tired, came back to his room after several sessions and uh, was just beginning to get ready for bed. It was about 10.30 at night and a knock came on the door. He said, I don't know whether I want to open the door or not, but he knew they, whoever it was knew he was there, so he opened the door, and it was a nun in her 70s. She was 73 years old. She said, can we talk? He said, of course. So they went down to uh, a common area, and she began, she, was, she had been crying when she knocked on the door, so you could tell this is significant. She started crying all over again when she began to, to tell him uh, his, her story. She had uh, been molested as a child, and she had been, uh, there, was so, there was just so much shrapnel embedded in her heart. And she thought, if I become a nun, maybe all of this pain will go away. If I, if I get good enough, And she says, and it hasn't helped, and I've been a nun for over a half century. And I'm still tormented 
He said, it, it just came to him. He said, I'd like you to do something. I'd like for you every day to just pray one prayer. He says, I want you to refer to, to God as Abba, because that's what Jesus taught us to pray, that he's our Abba. You know, remember when our kids say, up daddy, you know, we, we're confident that he wants to, to bring, he says, call him Abba. And think of all the connotations of that. And then say this, I belong to you. And just pray that over and over. Not rotely, but, but do it repetitively. Abba, I belong to you. Whenever you're haunted by shame, by uh, feelings of, of a lack of worth, say, Abba, I belong to you. you know, because of Jesus. He said, do that for 30 days. He got a letter from her sometime later, and she says, that conversation changed my life. And she began to tell him how she had moved from a posture of cowering before God to being confident, not because of her track record. That's what she had been trying to do, be a nun all this time and earn something. He says, no, it's because of Jesus. And she went on to unpack the beauty and the freedom and the power of that confidence and how close she was getting. And then she signed, finished the letter by signing it, Abba's Child comma, and then she put her name. When I was growing up, I could call my dad at any time. And it was rare that he was in a situation where there's no way that he could talk. To at least say hi, and I'll call you back. But even in those times, it didn't bother me because I knew my Abba wanted to talk. And he, you know, as Jesus says, you, you, you being evil, you know how to give good gifts to your kids? How much more does your heavenly Abba, your Father, want to give good gifts? So ask, what's, what's a powerful conversation with God look like? It looks like closeness. It involves me being close in intimacy with Him. It involves confidence because of the sufficiency of Jesus, not because of my track record. But thirdly, it involves cause. Powerful praying involves cause, and it's because of His glory. Now, that's a, that's a key word. So I'm conversing, I'm relating, I'm growing in intimacy, but there is something that, to, remember in the ACTS, it's the adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then there's supplication. There's, there are requests. And he says, I want you to come to me with your requests. But Jesus gives a qualification here. Go back to the text, John 14, look at verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Do you see the, the connotation of that passage? He says, when you're praying, you're doing my works and you're doing my works in, in multiplied fashion. And you're doing it for my glory. You know, I've read a number of years ago, or within the last couple of years at least, about a guy that was 
a customer service representative at uh, some company, and people would come in not very happy. And he, he got really weary of the way that people would speak to him. And this happened, I'm guessing, 10, 15 years ago. But something similar has started to happen online and social media uh, that was happening across the desk from that guy. And that is, he started thinking, these people have, that surely they are not aware of how they're coming across. And the vitriol and the poison and the ugliness that they're exhibiting towards me. And there are times that you read social media, especially in these days, you think there's no way that person would be saying that if they were speaking to another human being in person instead of typing anonymously. So this guy at this company, he bought a huge mirror and put it back behind the customer service desk so that when people were standing speaking to him, they were seeing him, but they were also seeing themselves. And he said it was remarkable. It was, it was just about overnight, all the poisonous, ugly stuff. I mean, people come, would come in with complaints, but they would phrase it differently because they were being held accountable by a mirror behind them. A mirror that was showing to them the nature of their requests and what was happening. You know what this passage does? It puts a mirror up to our praying. We like this idea of being able to talk with God, but how about we replay, what are we saying to Him? Is it all about me, 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 me? Is it all about my comfort, my comfort, my provision? Does God care about things, those things? Yes, of course. But here there are two things that Jesus is giving in this passage that really hold me accountable, even when I'm calling out to Him regarding my pain or for provision. It's the notion of me being involved in more than just my little universe. I'm involved in my conversations with the work of Jesus on this planet. And the second, we'll get to in just a second, and as we finish up, would be having to do with His glory. Is, is my conversation laced with a burden to, to glorify Him? So am I doing the works of Jesus and am I glorifying Him? No. Go back to that text in verse 12. He says, Whoever believes in Me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. That's, that's key. Because I'm going to the Father. Is the qualifier there? This is what was happening in the upper room. In the same, in this same passage in conversation, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. He says, "It's necessary for I to go, for me to go, so that my Spirit can come." What he's referring to here is that it's 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 necessary for me to go because I will no longer listen very carefully. I'm no longer going to be limited to one human body. By my Spirit. I will inhabit my body, the church. And so all of us all around have the Spirit of Jesus in us. You know what Jesus looks like? He looks like every follower of Jesus. Unique in terms of our personality, our proclivities. But we're walking around with the life of Jesus being manifest through us. To be fully alive is for the life of Jesus by His Spirit to be doing His work. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. 
I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave Himself for me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We're God's workmanship. His poema is the Greek word there. His works of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And a good work is prayer. Jesus, if there's anybody who didn't, quote, need to pray, it would have been Jesus. But He prayed. He would get up early in the morning. Prayer was a major part of His life and His ministry. And a lot of times we think, I need to pray before I do the works of Jesus. Oftentimes we don't realize praying is the work of Jesus. There's something mysterious about prayer in which God prompts His children to make these requests that are birthed in heaven in the first place by His Spirit prompting us. And, and we participate with Him in His purposes of renewing all things. We're on a trajectory on this planet of Him making all things new. And every day He is at work and He said, your prayer makes a difference. Not in manipulating me, but in cooperating with me for my glory. Go back to the text. That's that second caveat there. The second part of verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There should never be a conversation in which His glory is not at least in the back of my mind. This is not just about my pain being relieved or this provision being made. or what, I'm, I'm praying that my pain would be relieved so that I might be a better instrument of His glory. But that also puts me in a pliable thing that says maybe if my pain doesn't leave right away, this might be a way for Him to glorify Himself. Would you provide for my friend so that Jesus might be glorified? It, that moves us away from a genialized version of prayer and we are now cooperating with the living God as His kids, participating in His purposes for the purposes of His glory. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, you know is a favorite verse of mine. Where this, this majestic promise is made, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So today... The glory of the Lord covers the earth a little bit more than it did yesterday. Tomorrow, it'll be a little bit more than this. I don't understand the overall time frame. But what I do understand is God has said on a daily basis, my son, my daughter, let's chat. And let's talk about what in your life, what in your realm of influence, what are the supernatural things that I can do? Things only explainable in terms of me that will be birthed out of this conversation that enable my glory to gain a bit more ground. Because in the new heaven and the new earth, the glory of the Lord will be covering the, water, covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. It'll be complete. And the work of Jesus 
will be done. What was Christ's work? Not just to die on the cross and restore us to the Father, but He came to make all things new. And He is using us as men and women inhabited with the life of Jesus. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And so when I am praying, I am praying not just, hey God, I want you to do this and I'm going to sit by. I want you, I'm praying in such a way saying, how can I cooperate with your glory, with your agenda? And starting to see that there is a lot of stuff I've prayed in my life where I wasn't at all concerned about the glory of Jesus. I wasn't at all concerned about the work of Jesus. And I'm not referring to calling out to Him in, in, in deep pain. He wants that. But we're to pray with an awareness of a bigger, a bigger picture. And that is that we are participating in the work of Jesus and seeing all things once again be renewed. And right now in our culture, it's time to pray. It's time to pray for God to do something that's only explainable in terms of Him. But as we're praying, we're understanding we need to be in submission to do the work of Jesus, which is praying and also obeying and serving and bringing life and care to our communities and to our culture and doing it in such a way that it does not glorify us or, or any religious institutions, but it glorifies Jesus. So right where you are in your living room or sitting out on your porch or wherever you are, I want you to gain a vision of the significance of this invitation. And we're going to sing. We're going to sing a victorious song about how that glory of the Lord is covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's a triumphant. There is. We know the outcome. And so when I am praying, I am praying victoriously from that standpoint. The enemy is wanting to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And as a result, Paul says, we've been crucified with Christ. We're not living. Christ is living in us. And therefore, we're living as life givers on this planet. So let me pray for you. And then our team's going to lead us in a proclamation of seeing the victory. That's really what happens. When I'm speaking with him, he encourages my heart supernaturally. Something's going on. I'm starting to see things as he sees it. And I see his victory. I see the end result. Let me pray. Jesus, I know there are a ton of needs here. And your invitation is clear that we would come and we would just cast our burdens on you so that you might be glorified in renewing something, restoring something, repairing something redeeming something in, in, in our journey or in the journey of a friend of ours. Would you give us the eyes to see your victory in whatever we're dealing with if we will simply call out in the name of Jesus, not based on our merit, and call out for your glory and call out understanding we are part of your purposes. And I pray this in the matchless name that is above all names. Amen.